Hi everyone, this is Ben Guest, and this is the Creativity, Education, and Leadership Podcast. Today's interview is with Chris Haladzik. Chris is a senior at Yale and just finished an apprenticeship with Sean Puri of the My First Million podcast. Chris talks about best practices for Twitter, how to grow your following, and the most important aspect of that, which is Twitter threads. So Chris talks about how he spends a lot of time constructing his threads, especially the first tweet, especially the first sentence of the first tweet. He also talks about lessons that he learned from working with Sean. Enjoy. Chris, thanks for coming on. So you're a senior at Yale now, about to graduate. Congratulations on that. Four years ago, senior year of high school, what music, what songs specifically were you listening to? Okay, this is a a funny one. So I'm very not into music at all. Like I literally am the kind of kid where like I would like get a Spotify playlist and just be like, tell my brothers, hey, just like give me music that's like good. And so like I was literally never knew like individual artists, but literally I'm like stuck in the 2000s. I probably was listening to like Kiss Kiss by Chris Brown and like all these songs that like you kind of listen to middle school for me, middle school age. Um, But yeah, those are those are a few Kiss 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 Chris Brown. and a, and a few other ones like replay and like some like really cheesy songs. Um, so that was probably what I was listening to back then. Nice. And you had a tweet recently. You asked people, what's the best advice you've received? You got a lot of interesting answers. What's some of the best advice you've received? Yes, yeah, so this is a tough one. I would say one thing that I think I replied to someone there too. I said, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And I think that's like super powerful and that like a lot of people, there's like shiny object syndrome, right? There's a ton of things to do. You can have a newsletter, you can have a podcast, you can have a blog, you can have a Twitter, you can have a corporate job, you can do a startup. Like there's a million options out there. And I think people get like this, like sort of paralysis where they try to do too many things at once. And I think like, for me, it's about like being like ruthlessly focused on like one outcome or one goal. Um, and so like, just knowing that, like, if you're ruthlessly focused on one thing, um, it can be powerful and it can be super, super helpful. So I've, I've tried to stick with that. So what are you ruthlessly focused on these days? Yeah. So for me, it was, I can talk a little bit about the Twitter journey. Um, but for me, it's Twitter growth right now. So I started back in June of 2020. So almost a year ago. Uh, I I discovered people like Paul Graham and Sam Altman and some of these like legends in tech. And I saw like all these cool people in tech that were on Twitter. And I was like, if I'm just interested in learning more about this field and this area, I might as well join Twitter and like see what's up and and kind of talk to people there and and reach out and like put out some content. And I started zero followers tweeting into the void. It was like, you know, my mom or my girlfriend would be liking my tweets. Like that's, that's about it. And I just kind of like over time um, got like one, you know, I had a big thread on Keith Raboy, which he, that went viral and he retweeted and I got to like 1100 followers, but like seven months in, I was at a thousand followers after seven months of work. Three months later, I was at 5,000. Two months later after that, now I'm at 36,000, right? So like it's the sort of exponential growth. But for me, the reason why I'm so focused on, uh, and right now I've, you know, I'm focused on growing my Twitter account is because I'm a college student. I don't have a full-time job or anything. And I think something that's really important to me is like building a network and meeting really interesting people. So when you, the best way to meet interesting people for me, normal people are like, oh, just reach out and, you know, have them on your podcast, like you're doing with 
resume, which is great. But for me, it's like you, Twitter can attract interesting people to you. And I think that's something that's very unique. Like, I don't know who's out there and they might be like, oh, I can attract interesting like-minded people with my tweets. Um, so that's why I'm so hyper-focused on that right now. That's a great point. So it's not, I think a lot of people treat Twitter, I do certainly, as a traditional networking tool of, hey, I'm interested in talking to this person. Let me find them on Twitter or back in the day, you know, at a place like Yale, let me go through the alumni directory, find someone in this industry or this type of organization and, and cold call them or email them. But what you're saying is it's good for that. And I'm going to build so much interesting content that people are going to come find me. Yeah. So I have a system for this. I, I can go talk to it. me. So I, Please. This, is, uh, this is something that has been really, really important to me. Um, so I'm like a frameworks guy, systems oriented guy. And I, and I came up with this thing in January. So about five, six months ago, and it's called attract search strength and ASS. So it has a funny acronym. Um, but the first part of pillar of that is attract. And that's what I talked about with the Twitter stuff. So I'm trying to attract like-minded people and like Matthew Kobach, who's a big guy on Twitter says like, you're trying to be a lighthouse for like-minded people. Uh, so for me, that's the way I do that is I have a weekly checklist. I have to put out two threads per week and two to three tweets per day. So that's like my attraction. And then I also, which we can get into later, I've been hosting these fireside chats for the entrepreneurial society where I do once a month, I have like a big entrepreneur investor on, and that's also attracting people, right? Interesting people reach out to me after that and be like, oh, great job interviewing, whatever. So that's the attract part. Then there's search. So search is what you're talking about, like typical just networking and reaching out to people that you admire. So I do that by saying, I need to have send one DM or email to someone new per week. And I need to get on one Zoom or phone call with someone new per week. And then the last pillar is the strengthen. So I need to send one DM or email or text to someone I already know per week and then jump on one Zoom or phone call with someone I already know. So the reason why I kept it super simple like that, and we can talk about this later with this whole like atomic habits, James Clear, and kind of that impact on me is that when someone gets busy, you're not going to like, say I had it be five phone calls per week. When you get busy, you're just never going to do that. So then when you fail at it, oh, wait, now I'm just going to get out of the habit. I'm not going to do anymore. I'm going to be discouraged. But instead, I've been able to keep up this sort of momentum by just hitting a very simple goal weekly. And I've been able to do that for since January, which is compounded over time to meet a ton of cool people. Um, so I, that's why I think about the networking and that kind of my system for it. Ah, there's so much great stuff there, Chris. So much great stuff. So let, let's start with, with your checklist. I love the idea of keeping it simple so that you groove those habits. Okay, let's start with thread construction. How do you think about uh, if you're going to do two threads a week, um, how much are you thinking about that beforehand? And then how do you think about the actual construction um, of the thread on Twitter? Yeah, okay, so let's start at the top. The tweets, so the way I think about threads are like a top of funnel. You have threads are the things that increase your audience size. Tweets are the things that just like gain trust or like, like are like little nuggets of wisdom. You're not going to gain a lot of followers, newsletter subscribers, whatever you're trying to increase from regular tweets. People just click them and click out, right? So it's not going to, the way you can harness the attention is not to increase very many followers. So that's why like the tweet threads are the most important thing. And I don't tweet as much normally, but in terms of back to your question of like thread construction, 
So what I do is anytime I have an idea, say I'm reading an article, say I'm like listening to a podcast, whatever, I'll toss it into a Notion document. So I have a running list called like tweet thread ideas. And I probably have 30 or 40 ideas in there. And half of them are just absolute garbage, right? Like they're just not going to be good based on like the feel that I've had of doing a bunch of them. But some of them are kind of the winners. And then what I'll do is I'll, is I'll uh, take that when it's like time to write the thread. So maybe a Monday afternoon, I will go into Notion, I'll put up a new new page, and then I will just rough draft, write as fast as I can the thread. And it's going to be terrible. It's going to be so bad. Like no one's going to like it, right? But what I do is I take that and I just get it out on paper or out on the Notion doc. And then I'll take a little break, maybe an hour, maybe it might be till the next morning. And then I'll go back, I'll edit really intensely, and then I'll like queue it up to submit it. Um, so that's kind of my process. And we can talk more about it if you want. Yeah, I love it. You know, um, one of the things that I like about this entrepreneurial world that's new to me. So I've, I've been a teacher and university lecturer for my entire career and, and worked in institutions. And so one of the things that you're sort of touching on is just the idea of iterating quickly. And when you're working at an institution, a lot of times that's organizationally, consciously or subconsciously, it's frowned upon. And it's, you know, we have this system, this is the way we've always done it, blah, blah, blah. And what I like about this world is, let's try some shit. If it works, let's continue doing that. The stuff that doesn't work, let's stop doing that or let's iterate it into something else. So I love the idea of your process of, let me just type out a bunch of stuff, it's gonna suck. Then I'm gonna go back and rewrite, rewrite, rewrite until it's interesting. Um, so yeah, let, let's let's drill down a little bit more on that. So you have your your Notion document, you've done your initial, let me just get the words out and then you edit. Now, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'd say, okay, so there's a few things there. Um, the one part that's like people don't really, I think, think on a lot about is say your thread is 10 tweets long. You would say, okay, 90% of the content is in the last nine tweets, right? That's the most important part because it should be 90% of your effort wrong. In my experience or my opinion, you should spend 50% of your time writing the thread on the first line. And I, this is something I got from Sean Purry, um, you know, co-host of My First Million, who I apprenticed for for a few months. Uh, it's your hook. It's your subject line. No one's going to like click on it or go to the next one unless they're intrigued. So you should spend so much time. Like I'll rewrite that first line 10, 20 times. Easy. So like, that's, that's the, that's the money place where you need to really uh, spend extra time on. So I, I'll, I'll like write out 10 headlines or 10 like first lines and kind of see what hits, read them out loud, um, kind of talk through them, think through them. If I were, you know, someone else, would I be interested in this? Would I stop scrolling? Um, so that's the way I think about it. And what makes that first, that your headline, your first sentence, what makes that engaging? What do, what do you, as you're thinking about it, reading it out loud, What's the trigger for you that, okay, this is engaging? There's a few buckets. I've actually thought a lot about this recently. There's a few buckets that I think are like the keys, the ones that do the best. The one is num. The first is numbers. So people love numbers. Like I had one the other day that was, you know, there's over 30 million podcast episodes out there, but here's seven that'll save you a lot of time, something to that extent. And I listed like, my seven favorite episodes from all these different shows and why they're cool. What are the takeaways? Because people like when you see 30 million, you're like, oh, shoot, 
Like this is a crazy high number. Okay, let's think about, let's, let's stop scrolling, whatever. So numbers. The second one is social proof. I have not built this, a big company. I'm, you know, a college kid. I haven't had like all this incredible success, right? So I, so for me, I can't say, you know, I built this huge company or I've done this crazy thing. What I can do is leverage like the habits and the systems that I've built to engender uh, social proof. One example would be, you know, I've meditated or not meditated. I've done a gratitude journal for a thousand days in a row. Here's whatever I've learned about gratitude. So that's like one example that like something that's like, you know, very specific to me that I've done. Um, another one is like, I interviewed, you know, five founders of billion dollar startups. Here's what I've learned, right? So like, I can say I have not founded these startups, but I can distill and curate the lessons from them. And that's a form of social proof. I'm not just some random kid who doesn't know something about startups or, or tech trying to talk about it. Right. So I think that that is the key is social proof and numbers. I love it. Social proof numbers. And then you're saving people time, right? You're distilling lessons learned from interviews, from podcasts, from stuff you've read, et cetera. Yeah. This is like a, a thing from copywriting. So like I've studied copyright, great copywriters a lot. Um, and it's all about selling benefits, not features. Right. So like, saving time is very specific. I'm selling you the benefit of you reading this. You're not going to have to sift through hundreds of episodes, right? Instead of just being like, here are seven episodes that are interesting. That's not telling me anything. A feature of the, of the episode is that it's interesting, not a benefit of the episode is saving you time. So I think a lot about selling, selling a feature or selling a benefit, not a feature. Okay. Can you explain that a little bit more? So the, let's say, for example, the seven podcast episodes. How is it, how could you frame it as a feature? And then how could you frame it as a benefit? Yeah. So the benefit is here, are, you know, seven episodes that'll save you time. Mm -hmm. the, the benefit is you get to save time and don't have to, you know, deal with sifting through all these episodes. And then the feature is what I said before about here are seven episodes that are interesting. That would be like the final line of the first tweet. That's a feature, meaning like anything could be, you know, the feature of my microphone is that it has 1080 quality, right? Like it just like, is it a feature of the microphone? Like an mm -hmm. aspect of it, mm -hmm. a feature of a podcast could be interesting, right? Or, you know, a two hour podcast episodes, you could just like that, just like different features that are, that are fitting into it that people don't really care about. They care about themselves and like what you can, what the benefits they can get. Right. How does it benefit me? So there's a great example of that, I think, famous example with Apple's first advertisements for the iPod, the original iPod. And one ad, I think, proposed ad was the world's first digital music player. And the ad they went with is a thousand, a thousand songs in your pocket. So the first is a feature. The second is a benefit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard, I've seen that ad. I actually shout out to, uh, Harry's marketing examples. He's really good at distilling this. If you go to marketing, marketing uh, you can check out some of his stuff. So that's one, if people are like, Hey, I want to learn more about this idea. Uh, you can go to him. He's like the expert at it. What are your thoughts about emojis in Twitter threads and tweets? Honestly, I don't really have many thoughts on it. I, I haven't explored much with emojis. Something that actually an interesting tidbit that I have, I've, I saw something that 
emojis and subject lines of emails are like correlated with increased open rates. Right. So like having an emoji in an email subject line, the open rate will go up. Um, I think that was in trends or something. I don't know where I saw that. You probably saw that too. Yeah, um, I but I, I'm not sure about with tweets or tweet threads. I've never experimented with, with any of that stuff. Any idea why open rates go up because of emojis in the subject line? Yeah, it's, I think it's pretty simple. It's just because people aren't used to seeing it. So you can catch mm, your eye. Interesting. I think people are more used to seeing emojis on Twitter or like say like this was like a text or like in a, a Twitter, a tweet or something. People see emojis more there. No one really sees emojis on email. So I think it's just zigging when others are zagging, like doing the opposite of the classic, um, I think is the, is the idea there. Do you have thoughts about using images in tweets? Yeah, I have a few there. So the way the, the algorithm prioritizes like in a hierarchical order in terms of like the things they want to show uh, your, the users first is like live video. So if you like live stream, it's going to get pushed to the top of someone's feed. The second is video. The third is uh, image and the fourth is text. So if you, people would think that if you know, you want to have something that appears more on people's feeds that you should use images or even videos. I've experimented a little bit with it. Haven't seen like a crazy difference, honestly. It's been more of a subject line. Um, in my last thread or one of my last threads with Bing Gordon, um, the, and he's like in, kind of invented Amazon Prime and was a, on the board of Kleiner Perkins and or he works at Kleiner Perkins on the board of Amazon for a while. That I had an image and that seemed to do really well, but I don't think there's as much of, as much of a difference as people would expect. Hmm, interesting. So another, another thing that you're doing, and I think this is how I first, how you first got on my radar. I think you had a, a great thread about newsletters and you started your own newsletter on review. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts around newsletters, what you've learned so far? Yeah, so full disclaimer, I'm not definitely not an expert in newsletters, um, but there are a few things that I've learned uh, so the reason why I went with review originally, this was back in like January, is because I know Twitter bought review. And what I'm assuming that in the future, just like you can follow someone on Twitter, you're going to be able to just tap one click subscribe on their Twitter profile and it's going to be integrated. So that's going to reduce a lot of friction because a lot of times what people do is they write a tweet thread, they'll link their newsletter at the end. So like people can click on it and sign up. There's a lot of friction because Twitter's algorithm does not like linking. Because uh, they don't want you to go away from the platform. So if it was as simple as just clicking one one tap to subscribe, it would be a lot more efficient. So that's why I went, went with review in the first place. And I was like, this might be a good idea. I don't really know much about newsletters, but it's it could be it could be good. The other the other thing I primarily do on my newsletter is just it's mostly just replicas of my tweet threads. So I'll copy and paste the tweet thread. I might add a meme in there. I might add like a little extra, a little extra, a few extra words or like something else or a little announcement in the PS but it's mostly just my tweet threads and email form. The reason why is a lot of people like just won't see the thread. Like the algorithm will just like say I have 36,000 followers, maybe only 10,000 people will see it like on out of my followers. So two thirds of them, if you're subscribed to the newsletter, you just, you wouldn't have seen it and you'll get it for the first time. Other people on my list are just not, are not on Twitter. Um, so this is a good avenue for them. And the last thing is I think this can be a broader conversation about the fact of like rented versus owned audience that we can talk about um, that a bunch of other people have talked about as well. Twitter is a platform where your followers can come and go, right? You're building like a castle on sand. You never know kind of what Twitter could fail. You could get banned. There could be a bunch of different things that could happen. 
an email list is something that can't really be taken away. Um, so I think building up that asset is just useful. Um, but yeah, that's, those are my thoughts on it. Yeah. hundred percent. When it comes to your email list, it's, you know, like you said, do you want to rent or do you want to own? Um, if you're not, if you're not in control of the way that you communicate with your subscribers or followers, then you're just building someone else's platform. Um, I mean, a couple of different directions I want to go. Uh, let me just do one more question or topic on Twitter. Do you have a sense of those exponential growth moments? What led to those in terms of your followers? Yeah, I mean, so the main exponential one and, and the banner, if people can check it out, actually, on my Twitter profile, you should, this beautiful banner that I have, it was actually made by Jack Butcher of Visualized Value. And it's kind of just like a bunch of like lines and it says like, all the way just like flat lines and it's just like no growth and it says like right before you're about to like go exponential it says this is pointless and that's when most people give up so i totally have felt this and you got to check out the visual if, if you're listening to this it's at chris Halad. you can check it out um but i've noticed this so much where like right when i'm about to like i want to give up because like i wasn't seeing progress right and like i was at 1500 followers and and not like seeing any increase it's just like to push through, just keep moving. And you eventually like hit one is like kind of the difference. But I think the big difference for me is I was at like four or 5,000 followers. And I posted that thread that I alluded to earlier about, you know, I've interviewed five founders of billion dollar startups. Here's what I learned. And that went like mega viral. It got like 33,000 likes or like something literally insane. And I got probably 10 or 12,000 followers from that. So I went from like in two days, I went from 5K to like 17K. And that was like the breakthrough moment for me um, of kind of like all the work leading up for nine months to like hit that one like big viral thread. Uh, but it's kind of the thing of you just need to keep chipping away. It's what I talked about with the system earlier. Like I was posting two threads a week. I'd, I probably posted 50 plus threads easy um, or more. So I think it's like, you kind of don't know exactly what's gonna hit. You get better at figuring that out as you get more experience. Um, but that's, that was definitely the breakout moment. If it's the threads that really hit, why tweet anything else? The algorithm loves consistency. So I've thought a lot about this, um, because someone like Sahil Bloom, um, if you don't follow him, he's an awesome, he's an awesome follow. He's got 200,000 followers and all he does is post threads. So he doesn't post any individual tweets really like very rarely. The thing is, is when you don't tweet consistently, it's just this thing where like your, your tweet threads will get shown to less of your followers is like my theory. So like having like one or two, like normal tweets in a day, I'll schedule those all out on like a Saturday. I'll schedule out, you know, 15 tweets for the week, um, in a few hours and I'll be done with it. But that's, that's my rationale. I've definitely, I'm like open to changing it though, because I've thought a lot about this in terms of, is it better to just do the threads? Is it better to add in some nuggets like the tweets? Um, but yeah, that's, those are my unfully formed opinions for sure. Mm, interesting. So you mentioned earlier that you apprenticed with Sean Puri. Can you first, what, what were you doing and how did that come about and, and how was the experience? Yeah. So I can tell the story of that. <clears throat> so I first, Sean came on my radar back in like June or July, right. When I was on Twitter, he had like 15, 20,000 followers. Um, the podcast, my first million was like pretty early stage. Uh, and I had written a thread on him of like him going on Pomp's podcast, different podcast. And uh, we had DM'd a little bit about it. Um, and I think he, he thought the thread was like pretty cool or something. So that was my first contact. And then 
a few months later, probably like four or five months later, I interviewed his boss. Um, he works at Twitch now and his boss Emmett Shear, the CEO of Twitch is a Yale alum. And I interviewed him for my speaker series. And I said, Hey, would there be any question that you would like to ask him or that I should ask? So he gave me a great question. And then we kind of went from there. And then the last kind of point of contact was Sam Parr, his co-host tweeted out like, how the heck did uh, Sean go from 30 to hundred thousand followers in two months? And like, he's like, can some nerd like tell me like how he did that? And I was like, I'm that nerd. Like I can figure it out. Uh, so like literally an hour and a half later, I posted a thread on like how he went from 30 K to hundred K and I gave like, you know, five sort of frameworks he did or whatever. Uh, and then I posted it underneath the thing. And then Sean saw it and DM'd me and was like, Oh, this is good. Like, do you want to work for me? Kind of thing. Uh, and I said, okay. So I got on the phone with them and uh, just like talked about like kind of the role. And basically what I did for, for three months or so is he, he has a lot of things going on. So it's basically like me just helping to give him a little bit of like research and like writing drafts. So like all I, all I would do would be like, do some research on topics, maybe write a few drafts of things. And then it's kind of like the thing where like the blank canvas is the hardest thing. Then he would take it and mold it to like what he wanted or change it or something like that. But I just like gave a little bit of a first push. Um, but it was, a, it was a great experience. I learned a ton from him. Uh, he's, you know, he's awesome. He's like really, really brilliant at what he does. Um, he taught me a bunch of things. So it was awesome. What for, for Sean to go from 30,000 to a hundred thousand, what were the five things that you found? Yeah. So, okay. So one of them was that's like pretty contrary to popular belief is that everyone thinks like, like what I've said, Oh, be consistent. Like Twitter's about consistency. Just show up every day. And like, you'll, he is in the opposite camp. He says, just, it's all a hits driven business. So like six threads took him from 30 K to hundred K, which is like insane. So a few of the principles is that one is he surrounded himself with people that were pursuing the same goal. So we formed like, you know, like a hundred K club, like him and like three or four other bigger, bigger guys that were all trying to do a similar thing. And they would share tips, tricks, that kind of stuff. Cause like when you, for him, his principle is when you surround yourself with people doing something, you're just going to become more motivated. You're going to be better at it. You're going to learn faster. Um, so that's the first thing. The other thing was he was very timely. Like one of his most viral threads was uh, the GameStop saga of like how that happened and kind of like what the simple, like what was going on in like layman's terms. And that went like insanely viral because people were looking for like, not like some jargony finance talk. It was more, what's the simple version right here. And then the last, another one off the top of my head is that he's very informal when he, when he tweets. And I think a lot of people try to be very, very like, I call it like straight jacket or like formal and like not, not like having a good time, like kind of like being more conversational. Like if, if you look like I've tried to take some of that stuff in my tweets, I'll be like, okay, so all right. Or like make a joke or like kind of poke fun at something. And like, that's so much different. And I think that stands out. Um, so I noticed he does that naturally. He's very like relaxed and funny and laid back. So I think those are the few, few things that come to the top of my mind. Be timely, surround yourself with, you know, people pursuing the same goal, um, be informal. And I think those are some of the principles. And as far as working with him, what were some of the lessons that you learned? Yeah. So the one, the one I already talked about was the, the headline thing, spend 50% of your time on the headline. 
The second one that's really, I think, novel is about reverse engineering emotion. So every time Sean goes to write a piece of content, <clears throat> he says, what, what emotion do I want the audience to feel when I'm done? And like, it could be, wow, laughing, angry, you know, oh, wow, that was, you know, that was interesting. Like, there's a bunch of different emotions. There's like, you know, I think seven viral emotions that he talks about. And we can link this into the show notes maybe after the, the thread that I wrote about it. Um, but yeah, so it was, he does that, writes the emotion they want to feel at the top of the page. Then he goes and does that like crappy first draft that I, that I mentioned to you that I, that I also do now. And then he goes and then edits and then posts it. But I think that like thinking about the emotion, because like people inherently share something because they feel an emotional response. If it's just like a boring textbook, they're never going to share it. Um, so I think that that separates him from a lot of other people. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Emotion trumps pretty much everything else. What what lessons did you learn about working for an organization, working with people, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, in one one interesting thing, I don't know if it's like a lesson learned from working with people, but something that was cool about them and working with him and his his uh, right hand man Ben <clears throat> is that they are like the most curious people that I've ever encountered. One thing that was incredible is like they would always be like firing ideas of like we would have you know Slack channels with like different ideas for the podcast or different ideas for like Twitter stuff or whatever, and it would just be like constantly like digging up cool stuff on the internet and sending that in there, whether it be Reddit, you know, blogs, podcasts, Twitter, like all these other things. And I think the lesson I took there is like the most underrated skill out there is being able to dig up cool stuff on the internet. Like people don't realize that like, that is actually a superpower when it comes to like content. Cause and anyone can, and we can talk about this a little bit more, but like anyone can just like, you know, put out a one liner, like put out something like a fortune cookie tweet but it's hard to like find these interesting things that people have never heard of that they'll be like, Oh, wow, that's cool. So I think that's something that he, he does. And then I learned uh, to do a little bit better. Interesting. And you said part of what you were doing is some research and some writing. So when you're working with someone who, who needs something boiled down to its, it's more pure form. How do you approach that from the research perspective and then from the distillation perspective? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have any sort of like formal process, uh, to, I guess, to answer your question, but it would be so like, say I, I wrote a thread or I wrote like a draft of a thread um, for something about like there, there was this crazy thing that you could do like in New York City, there would be like a banana bread, they were drop shipping banana bread. So like you go on their, on their Instagram or their website and you could like order for like 30 bucks and they would just like deliver it right to your door and they would make like, you know, 500 loaves and they would just like send it right out. It's called Ali's Banana Bread on Instagram. So like what I did is for that one, when I'm writing him a draft, I like, you know, added a bunch of pictures. I just like put like the basic points of like how much they're doing, how many loaves they're doing. Here's a few articles. Here's a few basics. And like tried to like write out, here's what the examples of the tweets could be. Here's the potential storyline. He probably took, you know, 30 or 40% of that, mailed it to his own thing. So it's not like I'm writing his content, but I'm giving him somewhere to start. So it's not just completely cold from a blank page. Um, and that's kind of what I try to do for myself. Like I don't have anyone doing the research for me, but I'm saying when I just try to write a bad first draft, I'm just breaking the blank page. So I think that principle kind of applies there too. Yeah. I think that principle applies in life. 
Chris, this has been so great in terms of the thoughts that you shared. I just feel in 30 minutes, 35 minutes, the amount of content and knowledge that you shared is fantastic. Could you just summarize again uh, what you said at the top, your process, the, the acronym, and, and what each step stands for with your checklist? I thought that was incredibly beneficial. Sure. Yeah. So the networking process, it's called Attract, Search, Strengthen, ASS. So the first part, attract, you're basically trying to attract like-minded and interesting people to you through content. So this could be through blogs. This could be through newsletters, podcasts, tweets, whatever. So I do this by posting two tweet threads per week. The second part is search. Uh, so this is just trying to find the people that you admire and the interesting people that you like. Um, and I do this by sending one DM or email to someone new per week and then one Zoom call with someone new per week. And then strengthen is just like existing relationships that you know, um, just trying to like, you know, gain closer connection, learn more about them, that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's one DM or email uh, to someone I already know per week and then one Zoom call. Uh, it's so helpful. And it's such an easy template for other folks who are interested in, in doing this to follow. So thank you so much. Chris, please tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, great. So you can find me at Twitter at Chris and then H-L-A-D, Halad. Um, so that's where you can find me. My web, personal website's up there on Twitter. Uh, if you want to listen to some of the previous podcasts that I've hosted uh, with some great guests, like I mentioned Emmett Shear and Michael Seibel uh, and Kevin Ryan and some some other people. Um, so you can find them all there and you can see, I'll see you on Twitter. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. See ya. That was my interview with Chris Haladzik. This is Ben Guest, and this is the Creativity, Education, and Leadership Podcast. You can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com. That's benbo.substack.com. Please take a minute to rate, subscribe, like this podcast. Thank you, and have a great day.